You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. School of Humans. Listener warning. Please be aware. This episode contains sexual assault. The spiritual allure of Rishikesh India is a draw for seekers, which in 1968 included the Beatles. But this holy city is also where Ryan Chambers and Jonathan Spallin vanished. In this episode of Astray, we explore Rishikesh and the spiritual awakening that has kept one Westerner here for nearly 25 years. While she's been empowered as a disciple of her guru, some have been led down a path by their revered guru that's not only dangerous, but deadly. But before we get to that, let's answer this. Is Rishikesh the spiritual Bermuda Triangle? Rishikesh is on the Ganges River. It's peaceful, but spooky. It's just got a feeling to it that is just unexplainable. It's a spiritual Disneyland. You know, there's so much that you could fall victim to. There is no denying that Rishikesh India makes a lasting impression on people. And for Sadviji, who you met last episode, and cannibal hunter Michael Yan, it has a conflicting effect. In terms of those who really go missing without a trace, yeah, there's only been a couple in 25 years that I've heard of. It is not the the spiritual Bermuda Triangle, I promise. Jan has a very different opinion. That is the Bermuda Triangle of missing people, is that area. It's just a black hole. They just vanish. Obviously, said Viji defends Rishikesh the city she left a life in California for at 24 years old and has now lived for nearly 25 years. She's there now, surrounded by nature's soundscape. Rishikesh has been a holy city since the scriptures. And the original reason it's holy is explained in a whole variety of different historical, spiritual stories and significances the core having to do with the 
the presence of the divine, the presence of the flowing river Ganga, the presence of the Himalayas, the presence of this sacred energy. But it's also a place in which for thousands of years, because it is considered a holy city, saints and sages and rishis and yogis have come and have meditated and have done spiritual practice and have attained enlightenment. Hindus are encouraged to pilgrimage, which means traveling to sites with religious significance as a deeper exploration of their devotion. Rishikesh is known as a pilgrimage town, which has a lot to do with the sacred river Ganges, or Mother Ganga, as Hidviji calls her, that splits the city in two. The Ganga is holy. I mean, first of all, nature is beautiful. There is a reason that people always have gone to mountains, oceans, rivers, lakes for holidays, for stress relief. Then you add actual holiness to it. And you add the fact that this river is the physical form of a goddess. Ganga was a goddess, I mean, still is a goddess, living in heaven, who took the form of this river on earth in this river body for a very specific historical reason that I won't go all into now, but it had to do with bringing liberation to the departed souls who were the children of a great king. She was beseeched to come down onto earth and to, with her water, flow over their ashes and give them liberation. Mother Ganga, or Ganga Ma, is seen as the goddess of purification and forgiveness. She is the personification of the Ganges. So for Hindus, the road to salvation is in those sacred waters. This is why Hindus travel great lengths, some near death, others whose loved ones escort their corpses to be cremated on the banks of the river, because they believe having their ashes thrown into the Ganges will end their reincarnation cycle so they can reach moksha, which is spiritual liberation. Moksha is what every Hindu desires, and there's no faster route than Mother Ganga. The Ghats of Aranasi, which is a city about 17 hours from Rishikesh, is where most Hindus track. But funeral processions followed by cremations of bodies wrapped in vivid colors, adorned with strings of marigolds and other ornamentation, line the Ganges. That is their liquid cemetery. And so at one point, I read about 30,000 bodies per year are put into the Ganges. Well, recent estimates place it at more like 3,000 bodies per year. And the bodies Jan's speaking of haven't been cremated. They're people who have either drowned or had a water burial. Water burials are banned in India for environmental reasons. But the practice still takes place because of the Hindu belief that unwed girls who are considered pure should not be cremated and that a water burial ensures they will be reborn into the same family. Many of the other bodies floating in the Ganges are men who have drowned or been murdered. And they don't just melt instantly, right? I mean, the body can be still there, you know, weeks later, you know what I mean? Floating down and get caught, you know, on the side of the river and that sort of thing. 
and you know, and they get in debris fields and there'll be a bunch of bodies over there or whatever, and dogs eating them. It's just unbelievable. You're just like, I can't believe this is real. And then you see, you know, a body floating down the river and there's a raven on its back picking on it while it floats down the river, you know, and there's kids swimming around the bodies and it's just insane. Environmentalists are concerned over the increasing level of pollution caused by cremation and water burials in the Ganges. Since 1988, the Indian court has directed that the practice of throwing corpses or semi-burnt corpses into the river Ganga should immediately be brought to an end. It's ironic that a holy river where people flock to purify themselves is also the country's most polluted body of water. Jan and Sadviji, both American, have had very different experiences in India and therefore have conflicting opinions on the same city. I asked Jan about one of his stronger opinions. If Rishikesh is a spiritual Bermuda Triangle, what's happening to the foreigners who go missing there? I think there's numerous reasons. One will be they just get lost and die somewhere. But then there's others that I think get caught up in, let's say, a dark web. And they either fall prey to some individual or something larger, like a network of people. And another is they actually go off and totally break. And and they're still living there 30 years later with no visa, no passports completely expired. And and, uh, that sort of thing. There's, I think that's a small percentage. There is no data to support this, so I would not say that. My co-producer Nkita, who lives in Delhi and has spent time in Rishikesh, has her own thoughts on Jan's claims. When I was speaking to people in Rishikesh, they said it would be much harder for a foreigner to be hidden because they would stand out. And also because Rishikesh is a small town compared to a city like Varanasi, which is also frequented by foreigners. I was reading this 2018 news item, which said that between 17 and 80,000 foreign tourists visit Rishikesh every year. I don't think it would continue to see such a big number of people if it had been so scary. So I wouldn't really say that Rishikesh is the place from where people go missing. Rishikesh is the place where a lot of foreigners come. So 70 to 80,000 tourists visit Rishikesh per year. And only two, Ryan Chambers and Jonathan Spallen, are mentioned in articles with headlines that identify Rishikesh as a town where tourists vanish, with one headline labeling them, the Lost Boys of Rishikesh. But for all of those who are allegedly lost in Rishikesh, there are others who have found themselves there. After the break, we'll hear from an American tourist who experienced something otherworldly when she visited Rishikesh in 1996, and she hasn't left since. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career 
And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I felt like a veil was pulled off of my eyes, off of every way of knowing that I had, and I could see. This is Sadviji describing her spiritual awakening in Rishikesh, a spiritual experience many seek in Rishikesh. Some find it, but for others, like Sadviji, it finds them. And I could see a truth and a life and an existence of the divine, of myself, of the universe, that not only had I never been able to see, but I never could have imagined. And it absolutely transformed me. This was not an experience that Viji was anticipating. She wasn't a seeker. She was a Stanford grad on break from a PhD program in the States. And she chose to visit India because she knew as a vegetarian, she couldn't go wrong in its holy cities that don't serve meat, and consider cows to be sacred. It's 1996, and after getting settled at her hotel in Rishikesh, a 24-year-old Sadviji wants to check out the city and put her feet in the river Ganges. So she walks a path through Parmat Niketan Ashram, surrounded by intricate gardens and embellished sculptures of deities, and continues down to the river. But the moment she sits on the banks of the Ganges, She feels something visceral, and tears stream down her face. She recognizes this place. She's not a tourist. She's home. We are seen as the core of who we are, pure and perfect and divine. And all of the suffering that we experience is due to the ignorant identification with the body, with the identity. And so enlightenment is really living in the light of the truth of who we are means I realize I'm not my body, I'm not my history, I'm not my identity, I'm not my title, I'm not my career, I'm none of those things. But not just realizing it intellectually, but actually having the experience of being 
soul, spirit, consciousness. And many of us have had it for a moment. A beautiful moment in meditation, a beautiful moment chanting God's name, a beautiful moment touched by grace. This was one of those moments that Sadviji was experiencing along the Ganges. But she didn't have an understanding of what this meant until she met her guru. Days after this experience, Sanfiji was walking her daily route down to the river. But when she entered Parmarsh Niketan Ashram, she heard someone say, you must stay here. She looked around for the person who had spoken, but no one was there. She heard the voice again, louder. You must stay here. Okay, she was hearing things. Logically, it didn't make sense to hear a voice with no person or object like a phone attached to it, right? But she hears the voice again and looks up to see a sign that says office. The office to the ashram. Listening to the voice, she walks in. Eventually, Sadviji meets with the president of the ashram, Puja Swami Chetanand Saraswati, or Swamiji, and hopes he'll allow her to stay at the ashram. And he does. He ends their first meeting assuring her that when she gets back from her trip to the mountains, Pamart Niketan Ashram is her home. When Sadviji leaves him, she has another unexplainable experience, like the voice she heard days before. But this one was hard to ignore. As she reaches the turn to leave the ashram and walk back to the hotel, she freezes. Literally, she cannot move. It's like someone crazy glued her feet to the ashram path. Once again, Sadviji's rational mind tries to make sense of this. Were her legs asleep? Had she contracted some sort of disease that paralyzed her? Tetanus? Polio? Eventually, she realizes logic is invaluable in this situation. This was something else. Then, kids playing tag on the path nearly run into her, so she instinctively steps backward, dodging them. She steps backward. It's then she realizes she can't take one step out of the ashram, but she can move back in the direction from which she came. So she walks back to Swamiji, the president of the ashram, and also a revered spiritual leader, who would eventually become her guru. The word guru literally means the one who removes the darkness and brings light. So the guru is the one who removes the darkness of ignorance, of that ignorant way that we identify as the body, as our stories, as our dramas, as our careers, as our titles, as our histories, as our races and religions and socioeconomic statuses and sexual orientations and all the ways that we use to define ourselves. It's ignorance, meaning it's true, but it's true on such a superficial level of existence that the minute that we start dropping deeply, we realize that it's not true at all. It's no more true than saying I am the sorry that I'm wearing. 
So the guru is the one who removes that darkness of ignorance and brings light. Asari is the traditional Indian wear draped around Sadviji. So she's basically saying that these labels we identify with and are identified by are meaningless. And as a disciple of her guru, Swamiji, Sadviji has shed these labels of identification. So the word disciple is a bit more official than devotee. It obviously includes devotee. Disciples are also devoted, but they've also taken some kind of official initiation through which they have made the guru their guru and they have declared themselves disciples of that guru. It's been nearly 25 years since Sadviji heard the voice that told her she must stay in Parmart Niketan Ashram on the banks of the sacred river Ganges. And from looking at all Sadviji has contributed as a disciple of her guru, it seems like it was the right decision. Her devotion to Swamiji and to her spiritual and humanitarian service is not only a calling, but it's been an extremely positive experience for her. So the cost of enlightenment looks pretty different in Sadviji's case. And I guess I'd ask, is enlightenment even a goal for her or for the holiest of the holy, gurus? Simply calling oneself a guru and simply donning orange or white robes does not actually make one an enlightened being. And interestingly, in order to be a guru, you don't even actually have to be an enlightened being. I mean, you could be a smart being, a wise being, a beautiful being who is able to remove someone's darkness and bring them light without necessarily having to be fully awakened and enlightened yourself. And in those cases, the dilemma becomes that when we are still slaves in some ways or under the control of our own ignorance or our own desires or our own egos, then you throw the right temptations in someone's lap. And if they haven't really done their sadhana, if they haven't really done their work, absolutely you sometimes see them falling prey to desires or abusing power. Fortunately, by God's grace, it's not that common at all. Four or five of them who over a period of 20 or 30 years have had big scandals are the ones we think of. The thousands of them who have been divinely bringing along people on the path to spirituality are not those who make headline news. There is one influential guru who has made headline news even after death due to one scandalous allegation, but in large part because of his tremendous success and the celebrities who have flocked to him. This includes the Beatles, who traveled to Rishikesh in 1968 to be in the presence of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi the father of transcendental meditation. Though Rishikesh has always been known as a spiritual Mecca in India, the Beatles put the holy city on the map in the West 
when the guru Maharishi invited them to India for their own spiritual awakening. Maharishi invited the Beatles to come. It was, an, it was probably the most creative time for the Beatles. This is Richard A. Cook III, or Ricky for short. His mother, Nancy Cook de Herrera, was the publicist for the Maharishi and was tasked with decorating the Stark ashram in preparation for their celebrity guests. The group got the VIP treatment, mattresses on the beds, curtains, mirrors. They even had working toilets. Ricky was staying at the Maharishi's ashram when the Beatles visited in 1968 and witnessed a pivotal moment in music history. I think they wrote 30 songs while they were there. I can remember them, you know, at lunch and at breakfast, sort of jamming, you know, at the dining room table, you know, with spoons and salt shakers and brooms, whatever they could put their hands on. One of my all-time favorites, The White Album, came out of the Beatles' stay in Rishikesh. In the Beatles anthology, Paul McCartney shares why they decided to flee their consuming fame in the West for spiritual retreat in Rishikesh. He says, yeah, well, it's great to be famous, it's great to be rich, but what's it all for? What's it all for is a question they hope the Maharishi could help them answer. But by leaving what George Harrison's wife, Patty Boyd, quotes in her memoir as a steady diet of weed and acid, stumbling daily through a mind-boggling, hysterical swarm of paparazzi and fans to the slow inhale and exhale of the mantra-based meditation, they were able to find their own answers, which in a way, we all got to experience through the music they created at the Maharishi's ashram overlooking the Ganges River. By Maharishi's house, there's like, not quite a cliff, but almost a cliff, and you look straight down onto the Ganges. And also all of Rishikesh. It was very beautiful. And at that time, the Mike Love was there, Donovan, the Beatles, Mia Farrow was there for some of that time. And, you know, it's amazing. I mean, they would be on, the, on, on, a, on a barge in the Ganges by full moon, and they would be jamming. You know, nobody recorded any of this. The Beatles wrote a song about me. For those of you who are fans of the White Album, you might know Ricky by a name John Lennon bestowed on him. You know, I, I never really connected with, with John Lennon. He was taking LSD, you know, in the bungalow next to me. I'm meditating. Months later, my sister says, you know, I think there's a song on the radio that it sounds like you. <laughs> you know, and it was Bungalow Bill. The song starts with a catchy refrain, Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill, Bungalow Bill? The song was Lennon's commentary on an audience he observed with Ricky and the Maharishi. Ricky shared with His Holiness that he had recently shot a tiger on a hunt. The Maharishi was disappointed, calling the tiger's death life destruction. Ricky left that audience altered and ultimately swapped his gun for a camera. He's now a renowned photographer living in Hawaii. He signs his emails Aloha. Yeah, he's figured something out. You know, I was, I was a young meditator at that time. For, to meditate eight hours in a day is almost like torture. I mean, it, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, all of the attention has gone to all these celebrities. But really what was going on there was meditating and, and Maharishi literally teaching the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it was, I would say, a, a, an intense course, not only just in meditating, but also in learning. The Bhagavad Gita, a 701-verse Hindu scripture, 
is one of the most important religious texts in Hinduism. The word Gita means song, and Bhagavad means God. So Bhagavad Gita translates to Song of God. And it was intense. Not only the learning, but the meditating. Of all the Beatles, Harrison and Lennon were the most committed to their meditation practice. Harrison reportedly said the meditation buzz was better than drugs. It was a way for him to connect with God, which is something Lennon said Mia Farrow's sister Prudence, who locked herself in her room and meditated around the clock, was trying to connect to. He was quoted as saying, Prudence was trying to find God quicker than anyone else. That was the competition in Maharishi's camp. Who was going to get cosmic first? I assume cosmic means enlightened. I don't know if Prudence ever reached it, but the Beatles did write the White Album song Dear Prudence about her, and she got something else extremely valuable out of her meditative time there. Prudence was literally taken from a psycho ward. She had had huge trauma from uh, bad experiences with LSD, and literally, I think Prudence was healed by the time she left Maharishi. But John Lennon had a very different experience than Prudence. In meditation, he hit what the Maharishi called an iceberg or a deep-seated wound. I think what, what Maharishi discovered during that time is people were, were meditating too much too soon. And it brought up too much sort of psychological sort of, he called it barnacles, things that were sort of in your consciousness, deep-seated wounds, maybe even from other lifetimes. Maharishi called it an iceberg. But but I think the iceberg, the, the important thing about an iceberg is it's much larger than you think it is. What do you mean? You, you've just sort of opened the door to it. You, you, you're, you're taking a little bit at a time. And, it, and with Maharishi's being there watching over you, you're going to meditate your way through. What happened with John Lennon is he bolted when he hit it. And when you actually look at the year that he went through afterwards, it was horrible. I mean, he got arrested for drugs. I mean, he, just one bad thing after another. He, you know, he, he left his wife for Yoko. I mean, that was just, it was a very challenging year afterwards. So that means he stayed in that level of consciousness or whatever, sort of that darkness that he was in. He stayed with it rather than coming through it. Ricky is touching on something we discussed in episode two, about the dark side of meditation. Even the Maharishi picked up on the fact that some people who meditate too much too soon dredge up past trauma or icebergs, which aren't necessarily bad if you have an experienced practitioner to help you through it. For John Lennon, that practitioner would have been the Maharishi, but he and the Beatles left before he could work through it. It's been reported that the Beatles fled Rishikesh because the Maharishi was accused of sexual misconduct by a female follower and allegedly also by Mia Farrow. Ricky denies these allegations against the Maharishi. Ricky says that these allegations were created by a member of the Beatles' entourage who was called Magic Alex. At the time, he was an electronic whiz inventor that Lennon called the electric guru. But according to Ricky... He was also the Beatles' drug connection. There, there was a whole bunch of intrigue, and there was a, a person named Magic Alex who was sort of the drug connection for the, for the Beatles before he even came to India. 
It's been alleged that the sexual abuse allegations were spread by Magic Alex because he was jealous of the influence the Maharishi had over Lennon. And though these allegations are rumored to be why the Beatles fled Rishikesh and cut ties with the Maharishi, it's not why they left. I, I mean, I remember being at the gate when they were all, all leaving. And what people don't realize is that Maharishi actually had made a mistake. And the Beatles wanted to do a, the, a movie on the life story of Maharishi. The head of Maharishi's world organization, Charlie Lutz, in Los Angeles, signed an agreement with Four Star at the same time. Literally, they duplicated the agreements. So when Four Star was coming in the bottom gate to do the movie on Maharishi, the Beatles bolted and they went out the North Gate, literally as the others were arriving. So an opposing film had already been set up and was set to shoot while the Beatles were there. The group bolted because it wasn't their film and they didn't want to be featured. Lennon was the most critical about the Maharishi after they left, and his disenchantment with the guru led him to write the song Sexy Sadie, which was originally titled Maharishi. With lyrics like, you made a fool of everyone and you broke the rules, it's apparent John Lennon wasn't a fan, which was backed up by his ex-wife, Cynthia Lennon, who said John thought the yogi was too preoccupied with public recognition, celebrities, and money. But according to Ricky, the rest of the group didn't feel the same way. You know, since then, every one of the Beatles have said what an incredible time it was, and they've all thanked Maharishi for that time. Also acknowledged what generosity Maharishi showed towards them. He protected them. They didn't pay a penny for being there. So ultimately, the Beatles did get a lot out of their spiritual escapade in Rishikesh, and we got the White Album. But as cool as it is to hear about the Beatles' experience with the Maharishi, or Sadviji's empowering relationship with her guru, Swamiji, when examining the line between healing and harm and spirituality, we also have to look at the guru, Asuram Bapu, who abused his power, making major headline news for a scandal that rocked India and ruined his empire. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. 
If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. You can't take down a powerful, charismatic leader like Osram Babu and the empire that protected him without having people willing to put it all on the line for justice. You know, I've been a reporter for quite some time and I've done extremely risky stuff before, before the Asaram story, but I was never this scared. This is Priyanka Dubey, an investigative journalist and author who has done some pretty risky reporting on custodial rapes, so-called honor killings, the rape of minors, and human trafficking in India. She's also one of the journalists who did a detailed story on Asaram Bapu, who with 400 ashrams, was one of the most powerful gurus in India. But in 2018, Asaram was found guilty of raping a minor, but his list of past offenses is long and was concealed by his co-conspirators. Dubey reported on the long, hard battle the victim and her family had to fight for justice. We had a bad internet connection, so some of the audio is patchy, but it's still audible. He had a, a huge following of, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of followers across India. So so he, his power came from his follower base. Politics is also related to religion in India. Uh, political leaders also started giving him attention. They started, they started to come to him because they knew that it can help them convert a lot of votes of people who are coming to listen to his satsang. In Sanskrit, satsang means gathering together for the truth, which is exactly what satsang is. Followers congregate to listen to their guru or engage in a religious teaching or spiritual activity. And India's political leaders knew that by attending Asaram's satsang, they'd get votes. So Asaram's devoted followers and political ties helped him establish power. But how did he abuse and ultimately lose it? I have met the family of the girl uh, who was a victim in this case. And those have been the most painful and tormenting memories of my reporting life. Those days are because, you know, the girl's father is this huge, you know, like well-built six foot man. And I saw this man sobbing, like, you know, sobbing, saying that we considered him God. And this is what he did to us. This strong father was broken by a man he considered to be a saint. The father's 16-year-old daughter had been studying at one of Asram's ashrams, Chinwara Gurukul, for the past five years. But in August 2013, he got a call from ashram administrators saying his daughter, who had fainted the day before, had been captured by an evil spirit that could only be healed by Asram Bapu himself. The girl's parents traveled with their daughter to see Asram at his ashram in Jadpur. Asram asked the parents to leave their daughter with him so he could perform a puja to rid her of this evil spirit. 
the parents obeyed their guru and retreated to the cottage behind the ashram, where they recited his bhajans, or devotional songs. When their daughter returned an hour later, she was sobbing and asked to leave immediately. When they got home, his daughter broke, telling her father that ashram made her drink a glass of milk. Then he sexually assaulted her. Before she fled his room, he threatened to kill her parents if she dared speak to anyone about what he had done. In Dubé's 2017 article for Caravan, the father sums up his feelings of anger and betrayal in a quote, Asaram cheated us in the name of God while he was actually a monster in the garb of a saint. The father also said that he trusted Asaram so much as his guru that if he hadn't seen his daughter for himself that night, he wouldn't have believed her. Which is apparently how other parents whose daughters were chosen for Asaram reacted. The families of these girls never spoke up because they were afraid of Asaram or didn't want to lose their family's honor or they were so blindly devoted to their guru they didn't consider his acts objectionable, but instead called his misconduct Baba's blessings. But this father wasn't going to bow down to a sexual predator, so he traveled to Delhi to confront Asram about his daughter's sexual assault. Asram refused to see him. So he filed a complaint with the police, and after his daughter's medical examination, the case was registered. The police arrested Asaram in September 2013, and a trial got underway. But according to Dubey, this is where things got pretty dicey. And this was an extremely difficult story for me to report on, because there have been so many attacks on the witnesses. There were 13 witnesses, and a couple of them were attacked. Uh, but I, I think three died, and one was missing. People were killed in the wake of Asaram's conviction. And Dubey was also in danger reporting on the story. Fifteen years earlier, in 2002, journalist Ram Chandra Chhatrapati ran a series of reports that exposed the rape and sexual abuse of girls and women at the hands of the guru Garmit Ram Rahim. Chhatrapati was shot for exposing the scandal, and the guru Ram Rahim was named the main conspirator in the case. This is why Dubey was scared. To condemn a powerful religious leader with an empire of ashrams and devotees can be fatal. It's the most risky story that I've worked on in my life. Because, you know, you're taking on, when you're taking religion on in India, it's a difficult thing because people in this country are extremely religious and it's something so sentimental for them that they, uh, if they believe that he's a guru, then he'll believe. Then they'll be like, no, this person has done no wrong. That girl has framed him. She's lying. So apparently devotees believed their guru above all else. And from what we've heard about the death of witnesses in Asaram's case, when you challenge people's faith, it can be dangerous. But I should also mention here, you know, I'm, I'm generally very sad about the way function things function in my country. But I followed the case throughout. And all of them, you know, they got life imprisonment. They were, were convicted and, uh, and I'm happy about it. It took five years of litigation, but eventually, the girl and her family got retribution. In 2018, Asram and his co-conspirators were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. But in 2017, before his sentence, the religious organization Akhil Bharatiya Akara Parishad declared him 
of fake Baba. It's obvious that Asuram abused his power, but the sexual assault may not be the only time. Back in 2008, the mutilated bodies of two boys were found near his ashram in Motera and were apparently linked to black magic practiced at the ashram. So Asuram is not only a fake Baba, but a dangerous and potentially murderous one. In India, gurus are seen as celebrities, and there is an economic and political infrastructure in place to support their global empires, which has made recognizing and then bringing down those who abuse their power difficult. I grew up going to church, not satsang, but in the West, we've all seen religious power abused and concealed, most prominently the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church and the empire of complicity that's covered it up. But as a Westerner, I'm not as familiar with this idea of having a guru. So I asked Ankita, who's grown up around gurus in India, her opinion. About gurus, I think we as humans like to be told what to do. Even if we rebel against families or authority structures, by, by a certain age, we are so used to obedience and not being allowed to think for ourselves we look to gurus, perhaps not realizing that we are just getting new authority figures in life. If people have grown up with books around or if they can afford therapy or travel, they turn to those things. If people do not have access to or information about such options, they turn to another human being. I don't think there's anything wrong in having a guru if we have the space to question and if the guru is also someone who sees themselves as learning and evolving in the journey. Like the Beatles, many Westerners are lured to Rishikesh by their intrigue with a guru or the promise of spiritual awakening. But from what we've heard in this episode, not all gurus have good intentions. And though Sadviji had a spiritual awakening that changed her life for the better, there are some whose quest for spiritual awakening doesn't change their life. It ends it. I think we were not educated enough about what was happening in Rishikesh at all. It's like Russell went there just for a, a spiritual retreat and never came back. We'll hear Russell's story on the next episode of Astray. One person mentioned that it's common knowledge that the Westerners come there to die. The specifics I found about Sadviji's spiritual awakening she covered in her 2017 TED Talk called From Hollywood to Hollywoods. Check it out. She's doing some amazing humanitarian work that I wish I had more time to share. Astray is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode of Astray, Spiritual Bermuda Triangle, was produced, written, and narrated by me, Caroline Slaughter. Ankita Anand is my co-producer, and Gabby Watts is our supervising producer. Astray was sound produced by Toon Mulders, with score and sound design by Jason Shannon, and mix by Harper Harris. Executive producers are Elsie Crowley, Brandon Barr, and Brian Lavin. Thanks for listening.
School of Humans. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 